please turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel is right after the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, we're going to read the first 12 verses to uh, set the context for what we're going to look at this morning, continuing our our series on favorite Bible stories. Daniel chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 12. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, You were to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. If we are followers of Jesus and if we seek to honor him and please him in all that we do, uh, not just on Sundays but, but every day of the week, we can expect there to be opposition to us and to what we believe. Now certainly we are, are blessed with tremendous freedoms in this country. Uh, when I drove here to church this morning, I didn't face any opposition. There was nobody trying to prevent me from driving to church. Uh, the government ha- has not told us that we can't have Bibles in our homes. The government hasn't told us that we can't come to worship on Sunday. And we we pray that these freedoms that we enjoy do continue. But, but it seems to be increasingly difficult and, and we seem to be met with more opposition in this country when we take a stand for God's truth and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But again, this shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you 
as though something strange was happening to you. And, and the context of that is persecution. Don't be surprised when you're persecuted. Don't be surprised when, when people hate you or dislike you because of what you believe. God's people will face opposition. We will encounter those who, who hate what we believe, who hate the one true God, and therefore by implication hate us. Now that doesn't give us license to respond with hatred of our own. It, it's easy to want to do that. But instead, we are called to respond to the hatred of this world with grace and, and with love. And, and we know that in doing this, Jesus is our greatest example. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, when they hurled their insults at him, meaning Jesus, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I bring this up because we... We look at this passage this morning, very familiar passage. Children, you know this story very well, probably. And our natural tendency might be to think, I can't stand people like that who do that to God's people. But while there's a certain sense of, of righteous anger that we feel when God's people are persecuted, you and I are also called to respond to the hatred of the world the way Jesus did. At the same time, though, we are, are firm in our resolve to stand for what is right and, and to stand for what is true and to stand for what pleases God. And, and that's exactly what we see in this passage this morning. Now, the setting of this passage is 6th century Babylon. We saw last week when we looked at the Valley of Dry Bones, um, God's people, because of their persistent sin and their persistent rebellion, had been hauled off to captivity in Babylon. And that's where we are as we come to Daniel chapter three. And I want you this morning to see four things in this passage. First of all, there is the image to worship. Then there is the pressure to conform. Then there is the strength to resist. And then there is the God who saves. The image to worship, the pressure to conform, the strength to resist, and the God who saves. King Nebuchadnezzar makes this really big statue. It's made entirely of gold. It's 90 feet tall and it's nine feet wide. I, I think I've said this to you before, but I think the top of the steeple here is about 44 feet. So take that and, and double it and you have the height of the statue. And, and we notice it's, it's somewhat narrow, right? It's only nine feet wide. And so it's a, a rather narrow, really, really tall statue made out of gold. Now when you read this story, a story that most of us are familiar with, you, you might ask yourself the question, where did Nebuchadnezzar get the idea to do this? I mean, who goes around making 90 foot tall statues, nine feet wide, out of gold? Well, I think the statue was based on a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had back in chapter 2. You might remember that in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a, a dream about this big image. It's, it's got a head of gold, uh, chest and arms of silver, uh, middle and thighs of bronze, and, and legs of iron. And, and at a certain point in this dream, a, a stone strikes the image, and it breaks the image into pieces. And the whole, and the, and the stone becomes a, a huge mountain and fills the whole earth. 
Well, no one can interpret the king's dream, and it really angers Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody can figure out what this dream means. And then Daniel comes along, and Daniel interprets the dream, and and Daniel says the head of this statue is Babylon, Uh, the chest and arms are Persia, the, the middle and thighs are Greece, and the legs are Rome. And these are, these are four successive kingdoms in history. First of all, the Babylonians were the most powerful nation on the earth. They went away, and then the Persians became the most powerful nation on earth. The Persians went away, and then came the Greeks, and after the Greeks, the Romans. But the statue doesn't last. It's broken into pieces. It blows away with the wind. It's gone. And and the picture of this dream is that the kingdoms of this earth are temporary. They don't last. The the nations and and the governments that that arrogantly harass and persecute God's people, the nations that seek to snuff out the church, this dream reminds us that those nations themselves will one day be snuffed out. Even, Even the most powerful nations in the world, nations that seem to be so invincible, like Rome, will one day come crashing down. Only God's kingdom, the stone that that becomes a huge mountain, only God's kingdom will endure forever. Well, I think as as a response to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, as a kind of, you know, no one's gonna tell me that my kingdom's not gonna last forever. No one's gonna tell me that my kingdom is gonna be defeated I think Nebuchadnezzar goes ahead and he, he, he makes this statue made entirely of gold. Gold represents Babylon. And, and he puts it on the plain of Dura. Children, the plain of Dura was very flat. If you've ever driven through uh, parts of the Midwest before, you know how flat it can be. No mountains, no hills, nothing. Just flat for miles. And so Nebuchadnezzar takes the statue, he puts it on this very flat ground. And you you can imagine, this statue is like 10 stories high. How it would just stand out. Wherever you were, you would look and you would see this massive gold statue. And we're not told what the statue represents. Is it supposed to represent the gods of the Babylonians? Is it supposed to represent Nebuchadnezzar? We don't know. But, But one thing I do think it represents is Nebuchadnezzar's thinking that my kingdom is invincible. My kingdom will never be defeated. This statue is a symbol of my great power over the earth. And we know that that this is a a pretty um, egomaniacal guy. He he has a pretty inflated view of himself. If if we were to jump ahead to chapter 4, we would see at the end of chapter 4 in Daniel... There's, a, there's one day when Nebuchadnezzar is walking around the roof of his palace and he looks out at his kingdom and, and he says to himself, isn't this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Now, dictators and, and tyrants often have these very inflated view of themselves. And so the the statue was built, and and you notice as I read this passage, notice how many times it's talked about the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
emphasized over and over. Nebuchadnezzar, in his great ego, sets this statue up on the plain of Dura. And now we have the pressure to conform. At a certain point, they, they schedule a dedication ceremony. And all of the government officials are told you need to be at the ceremony. Now, among the government officials are Daniel's three friends. Back at the end of chapter 2, as a favor to Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as government officials. And so when all of these government officials are told you need to come to this, this dedication ceremony, that would have included these three men. Well, at the ceremony, one of the king's messengers gets up and he makes an announcement and he says, when the band starts playing, you all need to fall down on the ground and worship this giant statue that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, we're not told what God they're supposed to worship. Babylon was a a very pluralistic society. They had many gods. But, But I think the idea here is that you are to bow down to show your allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar. Your allegiance and your dedication to this kingdom. And you see, ultimately, there's a religious aspect to this, isn't there? We don't want to miss this. By by bowing down and paying homage to this statue, you are saying that your commitment is to Nebuchadnezzar and to his kingdom above everything else. And the king's messenger also says, oh, by the way, If you don't do it, you're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace. That'll that'll give you a little incentive, right? In that day, they they had these large charcoal furnaces in in which they would make bricks and, and other ceramics. And in all likelihood, this is the blazing furnace in which the non worshipers will be thrown. And so the dedication ceremony is held. It seems to go really well. All of the officials show up. The band starts playing. And it looks like everybody falls down and worships the giant statue. But not so fast. At a certain point, some of the officials come to Nebuchadnezzar. And they say, hey, king, you made a decree, right? You made a decree that when the band strikes up, All of your officials are to fall on the ground and worship that statue. Yes, that's true, Nebuchadnezzar says. Okay, and and didn't you also say that if anyone doesn't do that, if anyone doesn't fall down and worship the image, didn't you say they'd be thrown into a fiery furnace? Yes, that's also true. Well, King, we noticed three men, three Jews, by the way, who didn't do it. When the band started playing, they just stood there. They didn't bow down. They didn't worship the statue. There's a couple interesting things here to notice. First of all, isn't it interesting that out of what was surely a very large crowd of government officials, it seems that there were only three men who wouldn't bow down. And I think that this is a reminder to us that that following Jesus may require you at times to be on your own. It may require you at times to take a stand when, when no one else will stand with you. If, if you ever read about the, the persecuted church throughout the world, you know that there are many Christians who when they become a Christian, 
The family abandons them, their, their neighborhood, their friends abandon them, and, and they have to follow Jesus all alone. Children, there may be a time in your life when you have to stand up for Jesus and you have to stand up for what is right. And none of your friends will stand with you. None of your friends will do what is right with you. And you have to do it all by yourself. It may be at school. It it may be among your friends. It may be one day when you're at work. But there may come a time when you have to stand all by yourself. And when that time comes, remember this story. And and remember that God will give you the strength you need to do what is right. And and second, notice these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are very low-key about all of this. They don't stage a protest. They, They don't stand in the middle of the street and block traffic. They don't chain themselves to the the golden statue. They don't do anything to draw attention to themselves. They they just refuse to bow down. And I think in many respects, that's what it's often like to live the Christian life. We, We live for Christ often in quiet, ordinary, day to day ways. We're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We're not trying to stand out in the crowd necessarily. We, we just seek to honor him with our everyday life. And that's what these men did. And the third thing we see here is that God gives them the strength to resist. They knew what the punishment was. They, they knew that it wasn't just a, a $50 fine. They knew it wasn't just 30 days in jail. They knew it wasn't just you might lose your government job and all the benefits. Children, what's the punishment for doing this? They toss you in a giant burning oven. But here's what else these three men knew. They knew God's commands. They knew the first commandment that we heard earlier this morning, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall give your worship, your allegiance, ultimately to no one else besides the one true God. They also knew the second commandment, you shall not bow down to an image. Is it wrong to be patriotic? Is it wrong to say the Pledge of Allegiance? Is it wrong to to support and, and hold in high esteem politicians who do what is right and take a stand for truth? Of course not. It's not wrong to be patriotic. It's not wrong to say the Pledge of Allegiance. It's not wrong to support good government officials. But that's not what this passage is about. This passage is a reminder to us that we only give our ultimate loyalty and allegiance to one. We worship only one, and that is the true and living God. These three men were committed to remain loyal to God and to worship only him no matter what the cost. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't know how the story ends like we do. We we know, and we're going to see this in a moment, they're, they're safe. But they didn't know this. They were committed to God no matter what. Reminds me of something that a man named... 
Samuel Rutherford said over 300 years ago, he said, duties are ours, events are the Lord's. Duties are ours, events are the Lord's. In other words, our duty is to follow the Lord. No matter what the cost, and we leave the results to him. Well, Nebuchadnezzar hears about this, and, and he's enraged. The, the two words that are used here that are translated furious rage, both of those words mean rage. Literally, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, in rage, rage. It's like Daniel is saying, the king was 200% angry. Double angry. Absolutely furious. How can these three men, to whom I gave these nice government jobs, how can they do this to me? How can they refuse to obey me? And so children, he, he decides to give them another chance, doesn't he? He brings them into his office and, and he says, um, is it true that you didn't bow down when the band started playing? I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to give you another chance. Maybe you misunderstood. Maybe you were busy talking when the band started playing, whatever. But I'm going to give you another chance. When you hear the music, bow down and worship. And guys, this time, if you don't do it, you, you know where those big ovens are where they make the bricks? You know those big ovens where it gets like 2,000 degrees? That's where I'm going to throw you if you don't listen to me this time. And what do they do? The three men say, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. If you throw us into that fiery furnace, God is able to deliver us. He's able to rescue us. But king, even if he doesn't rescue us, we want to make something clear to you. We will never bow down and worship that gold statue. You say, how could these men say this? How, how, what, what courage these men show in the face of death? It, it wasn't like the king was threatening them with, you know, four hours in a sauna room. He says, if you don't worship the statue, I'm going to throw you in a fire. A literal, blazing, hot fire. Children, do you know why these three men could say this? Because they didn't fear Nebuchadnezzar. They feared God more than they feared Nebuchadnezzar. Children, fearing God is, is not being afraid of him as if he's out to get us when we step out of line. That's not fearing God. Fearing God is to care more about the smiles of God than you care about the smiles of men. Fearing God is to hate the frowns of God more than you hate the frowns of men. Too often we are people pleasers, aren't we? But fearing God means that you care most about what God thinks. 
And these three men, they, they knew of God's great power. They, they knew the great stories of redemptive history. They, they knew about the Exodus. They knew about David and Goliath. They, they knew that if it was God's will, that, that he had the power to deliver them. But they also knew that they might die in the fire. That there, there are many stories, children in church history, where faithful Christians die because of their faith. But you know what, when you live this way, when you live with the attitude of my God is able to rescue me if he wants to, but no matter what, I'm gonna live for him. When you live your life with that kind of attitude, there's no man, there's no person, there's no institution, there's no government who has any power over you. Not one. They can't control you, they can't intimidate you, And that's because you care most about what God says and thinks. And that's what we pray for for each one of our lives, right? That that what we would care most about is what God says. What we would care most about is what God thinks. And so they deliver their speech and they say, we don't care what you do. We're not bowing down. And and this makes Nebuchadnezzar even more angry. Verse 19, notice it says his expression changed, or his expression toward them changed. You ever ever see someone like that before? All of a sudden, their their expression just just does a 180 degree turn. That's Nebuchadnezzar. And at this point, he says, turn up the heat in the furnace. Make it seven times hotter than normal. Apparently, it's about 2,000 degrees to bake bricks. And so, he says, turn it up seven times hotter than that. Now, that might mean, literally, get it up to 14,000 degrees. But, but remember, the number seven is also the number of completion. And so, Nebuchadnezzar could be saying, Make that oven as hot as you possibly can make it. Make it super hot. And he summons some of his elite soldiers, and they grab Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to throw them in the furnace. But, but notice, the heat now is so intense that the elite soldiers who are going to throw these guys into the furnace, those soldiers die because of the heat. Now, interestingly, it, it doesn't kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you would think if you're Nebuchadnezzar, you've got to be thinking, what's going on here? That the soldiers die, but these three men, they're not dead yet. And, but they throw them in the oven, and it looks that they're going to die. It looks like they're going to die. They're going to be martyrs in church history. But the fourth part of our passage reveals to us the God who saves. Nebuchadnezzar looks. He can't believe what he's seeing. He says, um, didn't we throw three men in there? And, and weren't they tied up? And one of the officials says, yeah, that, that's right. Three men, they were all tied up. And Nebuchadnezzar says, why do I see four men in there? And why are they untied and unhurt? Children, it makes no sense, right? You, you tie up three guys, you throw them into a blazing oven, and the next thing you know, there are now four guys in there, and none of them are tied up. Nebuchadnezzar even says the appearance of the fourth man is like a son of the gods. We, we aren't given any more detail than that. 
But there must have been something about this fourth man's appearance that that made it seem as if he was divine. Now, this could be the physical appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. It's possible. Could be an angel. Text doesn't tell us. But whatever the case, God comes to the aid of these three men in a remarkable and unmistakable way, and he rescues them. He saves them. And Nebuchadnezzar comes to the door of the fiery oven and he tells the three men to come out. And when they come out, they notice that the fire hasn't done any damage to these men. Their hair isn't singed, their clothes aren't burned, they don't even smell like fire. Children, you know if you, if you go camping and you sit around a campfire, you go to bed at night and, and you smell like the fire. It's in your hair, it's in your nostrils, it's in your clothes. These guys don't even smell. Even a pagan king like Nebuchadnezzar can see that, that their God had rescued them. What an amazing story this is. Amazing, true story of God's power to save. And as we wrap up this morning, I, I want to give you two things to think about. Number one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a reminder to us that God is always with us even during the trials of life. Last Sunday morning, if you were here, I, I talked about the, uh, the feeling of hopelessness that we all feel sometimes. We, we go through some trial, there, there's some difficult circumstance and, and, and we just have this hopeless feeling about us. And, and unfortunately, we, we often have a tendency to keep things to ourselves. Um, we, we, we put on a happy face and we act as if everything is okay because we think nobody else has problems. Uh, we, we probably could do a better job of, of sharing our burdens with one another. But as we go through trials and, and as we go through deep valleys and, and we go through these times when we feel hopeless, we can remember what this passage says to us. God is always with his people. He will never leave them. We we know the Bible says that. God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We, We know that. But this is a real story that shows us that very truth. God is always with his people. In Isaiah chapter 43 God says these well-known words. He says to his people, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Brothers and sisters, God never says, you won't pass through any waters. He, He never says you... You'll never have to walk through fire. Water and fire in the Bible are often images of trial. God never says you won't go through trials. God never says you won't experience heartache. God never says you'll never be anxious, you'll never be fearful, you'll never be depressed. God never says that. You will pass through the waters. You will walk through fire. But but notice what God does say. He says, when you go through those things, I 
will be with you. It's an amazing thing to think about, that the God who created everything out of nothing in six days, the God who is sovereign over everything, the great king over all, says to his children, I will be with you. And he also says to us, the fire will not consume you. In other words, the the trial will not cause you to fall away from me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are real life examples that when we go through hard circumstances, God is with us. It's so important we believe that, embrace that, trust that. God is always with us. Secondly, the second thing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a reminder to us of the gospel. They are a reminder that God has rescued us from the greatest fire that mankind will ever know. Children, you know, the greatest example of of God being with us is when Jesus came to this earth. You, You remember that he was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And on this earth, Jesus suffered, he was mistreated, he was falsely accused. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was even condemned to death, wasn't he? But unlike these three men, when Jesus went to the cross, he was utterly abandoned. Even his own disciples left him. And as he faced the fire of God's holy wrath, the wrath that my sins deserve, as he faced that fire, he did so all alone. So abandoned was he. Do you remember what he said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would he do that? Why would he endure all of that? Because he loves you, Christian. He did it for the sake of your salvation. He did it to pay the penalty for all of your sins. He did it to rescue us from the flames of hell that we deserve. He was forsaken by the Father so that you and I would never be forsaken. Remember that this week. As you may be called to stand for Christ, Remember that this week as you may be called to stand for what is right, to do what is right. Remember that when the, when the pressures of this world feel so intense, your God is with you. And he gave himself for you. And he will never let you go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word Thank you for the instruction that you give to us. Lord, we pray that you would again press home the truths of this passage to our hearts and our minds when we are called to stand for what is right. Help us to fear you and not man. Help us to live for you. Cause us to rejoice knowing that you are always with us and that Jesus went through the fire for us so that we would never face that fire of judgment. We thank you and we praise you.